Welcome to Telegeography Explains the Internet, the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world. I'm your host, as always, Greg Bryan from Telegeography, and today my guest is Wahid Adam, Global Board Director of the Mobile Ecosystem Forum and Executive Chairperson at iTouch Messaging Service. Our focus for most of this interview is on Africa, and I knew it would be, so I also invited my colleague Patrick Christian, who is our resident Africa expert at TG. Before we get into the conversation, I'll just uh, give you some background. Wahid works in mobile in Africa, as you will hear, and is also deeply involved in the Mobile Ecosystem Forum. So I had him on the show to talk about his ideas around how mobile offers an opportunity for infrastructure development in less developed economies, particularly Africa, as that is where he is from and, and where his experiences uh, that he wanted to share are. So he shared with Patrick and me some really interesting stories that did a great job of illustrating, I think, two core ideas. One, that mobile can be a valuable substitute for physical wireline infrastructure in some economies. And two, that mobile as infrastructure leads to some key innovations that end up having utility all over the world. So I'm looking forward to uh, you getting the chance to hear him explain all of that. Uh, we also touched uh, on hyperscaler and data center development in the region and how uh, the industry is creating digital ecosystems within Africa. Then finally, he steered us to some discussion about how Africa presents the whole world with this resource of many young, innovative people who are hoping to become a resource for the world and the role that telecoms can and should play in this revolution. So it's a really fun conversation and I was happy to have Patrick along uh, for Wahid, who was a great guest. So with that, let's get to the interview. Okay, uh, I want to extend a very warm welcome to uh, Wahid Adam. Thank you for joining us, Wahid. Thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. I'm uh, very pleased that the world wants to know more about Africa. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that is why I brought my, my colleague, Patrick Christian, along here too, who is our resident Africa expert at Telegeography. Um, but Wahid, I thought it would be useful for us to start out the show with just, uh, if you could give us a brief background on yourself and, uh, and what you do at iTouch uh, Messaging. All right. Um, so for starters, I guess uh, serial entrepreneur is a, a good way to say that's how mm -hmm. I'm best described as. I've had multiple businesses in various sectors uh, through my uh, young entrepreneurial journey and one that I started uh, at the age of 22. So I don't know how it oh, wow. feels to work somewhere. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I guess the technology world took me in the early 2000s and uh, I found it really interesting not only for opportunity to uh, to run businesses, but but I guess in a world that is changing dramatically and mm -hmm. um, and how technology was influence, influencing that change. Right. So, um, yeah, once I jumped on board, that's it. The ship never stopped sailing. I so, mean, so, that's, that's, that's what you want to do, right, is ride the waves. Exactly. So, yeah. So, iTouch is, um, for want of a better expression, an aggregator. So, we're very much in the A2P messaging uh, business. Very mm -hmm. much the kind of, if you wish, the digital postman. So anything digitally that you need posted, be it SMS, email, using technologies like USSD or rich media messaging, 
that's the kind of mm-hmm. stuff we do. And uh, with a key focus on the African continent, but uh, also beyond borders. Gotcha. Now, now you're also, and I think probably the focus of the conversation here will, will relate back to maybe this position a bit more, but the, the global board of directors of the mobile uh, ecosystem forum. Now I've had people from the Metro ethernet forum on the show before. So I want to make clear when we say MEF or MEF here, we're talking about the mobile ecosystem forum. Could you just tell us a little bit about uh, the, 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 that, that MEF and, and what you're doing there? All right. So MEF is a global trade body that represents everything in the mobile world. Right. So mm-hmm. it's not in any specific sector, um, you know, whether it be messaging or uh, private data security or, um, you know, IoT. It kind of covers the broad spectrum in terms of everything mobile and um, represents the global environment. So it really tries to take what's happening around the world and aggregate that into best practices, uh, white papers, uh, things like code of conducts, um, and and also bringing that information together, um, as well as the the mobile world together, allows us to kind of all jump onto one ship, trying to achieve something great. Then you know, all on our little yachts uh, going in different directions. So, um, <laughs> so it's very much it's very much that sort of environment. I have been on the board since 2017. Uh, when we initially had a separate board for the EMEA region, that's Europe, mm-hmm. uh, Middle East, and Africa, um, until it was decided that it was best we have one that represents the globe, and, and I've been on since 2017. Mm-hmm. My, although my, my role you know, covers the world, I mean, that's what we do, um, I have a specific passion for the African continent, um, and uh, as mandated by uh, MEF, we also want to bring Africa more into the fold, so I'm mm-hmm. charging that lead, if you wish, and uh, mm-hmm. hope we can, we can bring, bring it out. So conversations like this are very welcome and very important to us. Yeah, excellent. Well, we're very glad you joined us, and and yeah, that's that's a good uh, you know segue into sort of bringing up the major topic for the day, which is which is about Africa, but I think certainly has has lessons uh, that can be applied to the whole world, and just looking at kind of mobile as infrastructure. So when when um, I was uh, first introduced to this topic by you, um, uh, I, I was thinking back, um, and Patrick, you may be able to help me out here, but I remember looking at, uh, we, we have at Telegeography um, something called the Global Comms, which is just uh, you know consumer data about uh, telecoms penetrations and whatnot by country around the world. And if I think back to probably like 15 or so years ago, maybe, maybe around uh, the start of the 2010s or so around that zone, um, I noticed that the, the mobile penetration rates um, for several, several countries in Africa exceeded those of many countries in Europe um, at the time. And, uh, and, and that there had clearly been this, you know, sort of adoption um, back then of, I guess, two or three G kind of technology among uh, the, the African consumers that was still lagging in other places and thinking through that, it's like, okay, well, they have access to broadband wireline. And it's still the case now from what I see in the, in the data that, that wireline penetration in many African countries is very low. And when I say very low household penetration rates uh, might be in the single digits in some countries. Um, but mobile penetration rates are above 100%, right? You know, so um, so I, I wonder if you could sort of um, flesh out for us that history of how uh, mobile uh, adoption um, uh, sort of supplanted the, the rollout of, of wireline physical infrastructure. All right. So, so one is when you look at the world map, 
and you, you see the size of Africa to the rest of the world, it doesn't appear to be the actual size it really is. Of course, and, Mer- Mercatus projection. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the, the woman was drawn by those that lived in other parts of the world. Right. If you, if you look at the size of Africa and you take each continent, including the U.S., you take Europe, you take Japan, you take a, a, a number of the other, you know, India, collectively, they'll all fit into Africa. And I mean that mm-hmm. collectively, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you have the geography of a continent that large, then obviously the rollout of infrastructure is going to cost a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. The second part of that is that each country, um, as we know, Africa is, is, is not the richest continent in the world by far. And the, this kind of opportunity or financial burden to a state in order to roll out infrastructure has just been impossible, right? So right. understand it from the cost, it's, it just wasn't going to happen. When you start looking at uh, stories like, and, and maybe I should give you a quick story if you don't mind. Please, yeah. I go into Central African Republic, right? It's a country that's surrounded by Cameroon. It's some, just above the equator mm-hmm. and it's landlocked. And I ended up with an investment there that I had to go and visit. And I go to one of these rural parts of the world, uh, which there wasn't even roads to get to. We had to take a chopper to get to it. Mm-hmm. And there is a death in the village. And the story goes like this, is that the tribe or the community elected one of the sons to then go and inform the rest of the family. So this is what he had to do. He had to pack a little bag over his shoulder and he took a three-day bushwalk to get to one of the main arterial roads and he had to time it in such a way that he gets the bus that only goes past there once a week and then he got the bus and then he traveled into the capital, Bangui, where he then goes over to the radio station who has what they call community hour. And in that community hour, they read out all the messages. And usually it's, you know, when someone has died as well. And that's how the rest of the country or the family gets to find out while grandpa has died. Right. That is not the speed of business. No. And then (laughs) the same journey back, right? So then the rest of the family all convenes into the village and then they dig up the body from the shallow grave along the river so it doesn't uh, decay. And then they have the proper burial. Now, that is a real story. That is how it used to happen. Mm -hmm. When GSM came out, and of course a lot uh, more doable than wide infrastructure, and of course the rural areas weren't covered immediately, but -hmm. you can then imagine the convenience of even at a high cost, because it costs a lot more in Africa, if you know that, um, Mm -hmm. it was still cheaper than the exercise itself. And even... Even if you were going to visit a friend of yours, it was cheaper to make a call or once you, if you were literate, to send an SMS when people adopted SMS to find out if your friend is there before you actually embarked on the journey to get there, being taxi or whatever means of transport you took. So the convenience of communication, even though expensive, became uh, a lot more uh, um, convenient and cheaper. Yeah. In, mm-hmm. in what you would have had to do. So it, the adoption was so rapid that even, you know, Vodacom is one of the biggest networks in South Africa. And the right. initial CEO who was CEO for many years is actually hailed quite a hero in South African telecoms. And the reason why he's hailed such a hero is I don't think anybody, if you were heading an MNO at that time, could do anything wrong. 
and, mm-hmm. and let me explain what I mean. <laughs> His first business plan said that there would be a market cap of subscribers for all networks of 750,000 people. Mm-hmm. That was his first business plan. They did that in three months. Yeah, he then, of yeah, course, right. altered his business yeah. plan and he changed yeah. it to three and a half million people. They did that in the following nine months. Wow. He then changed wow. it to seven and a half million people and they did that in the following year. He stopped changing his business plan and just ro- rode the wave that made him look this hero because mm-hmm. his shareholders were static and they didn't care he was wrong because he was positively wrong, right? He was like, right, he's on the, right. he was on the wrong end of it and they're making a lot more money. Um, but no one quite truly understood the importance of communication, even mm-hmm. though it was so much more expensive. The other thing is that South Africa, we used it in the early days of comms, um, has a very small bankable market. It's a lot changed today, but I'm going back into the mid-90s. And the unbanked market didn't have a credit record that was worthy of getting a contract. So right. the invention around prepaid airtime prepaid. came about as a result to serve that community. A South mm-hmm. African invention, which now serves 80% of Europe, if, uh, if I last remember. Right. And, and it's about 85% of, of Africa. But that cost to distribute that prepaid airtime had a charge, which therefore traditionally was always going to cost you more. But even though we can deliver it digitally today, <laughs> right, low cost, mm-hmm. people are still mm-hmm. paying more for a prepaid airtime service because that's what the, net, the networks are happy to do, right? They don't care if they charge and make a, more, uh, a lot more money. But the bottom line, people still pay the high price because of the convenience of communication. Right. Absolutely. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that that story provides a, a lot of color for why we would have seen those numbers a, a while of, a while ago. And, you know, one thing that, that, that we think about at Telegeography, and certainly most of our listeners are coming from uh, sort of, you know, carriers, um, uh, uh, systems integrators, that kind of thing, um, uh, as long as well as, as the end user side, you know, sort of putting together networks there. But Obviously, one of their great pain points is local access, right? So it's it's always the last mile that's the most difficult part of of any journey, and that's and that's true whether you're in the logistics business or whether you're in uh, telecoms or whatever. And so it's it seems to me that 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 that's you know of course when you're describing building out towers in like Central African Republic or whatever, you're you're pulling wires to those towers, but then that tower takes care of the, the most difficult the part mile. of that, that mm-hmm. last mile bit. And so it seems like the, the economics really work out yes. in that sense right. for, for both parties, right? You know, so. It, and yeah, and when we're talking about broadband, uh, especially in Africa, we're talking about mobile. We're not talking about fixed. Yes. So right. that's what we see. And that's um, even, even today, it's still up over, these are telegeography numbers, but 90% um, uh, Penetration or or of population penetration population for um, mobile and for all of Africa for fixed um, fixed broadband it's about ten percent but of course Africa is huge and you're looking at several different markets because if you take North Africa which is a completely different region out of it um, they have fixed broadband um, penetration rates from thirty to fifty percent and South Africa is its own um, um, region that's a little bit apart too. But if you look at the rest of Sub-Saharan Africa, that's where you're seeing the numbers you were saying, Greg, about 5% in the single digits and often the low single digits. So um, yeah, w- when we're talking about um, 
broadband, we're talking about mobile. I think that's a super important point. And even today, if just counting, looking at the numbers, Africa is still growing the fastest in terms of globally, in terms of um, uh, mobile subscription. But mm-hmm. kind of the, the new thing that we're starting to see happening is a lot more rollout of the fixed broadband, but fiber to the home. But that's just tiny numbers compared to mm-hmm. uh, mobile subscription numbers. Absolutely. So, so by that I mean Patrick, just to be clear, you mean like fixed wireless access? So, like having a, a a like there, there you would be well, using no, both, a both. I, I'm talking yeah. about fixed broadband and versus right, right. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about um, well, I mean it can be DSL, any of the fixed broadband. I see, I see. It can include wireless as well, but what we're mm-hmm. looking at the a lot of growth in is actually the fiber to the home is is really starting to take off. But like I said, the numbers are infinitesimally small compared to the mobile subscribers. Often, Patrick, the the fiber cables get to main urban zones. And even from a certain point where it stops, they're still using uh, broadband, mobile broadband. Mobile broadband. Yeah. So that's kind of the intermediate stage is Mm -hmm. get fiber into the main zone and then use mobile broadband for the last mile. And then right. slowly start connecting each home with fiber cables. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's also happening right yeah. now. Hmm. So that's yeah, a that makes a lot of that sense. right now in parts, uh, particularly the main urban zones. But then there's the rural zones and, and some of the outlying urban areas that, that are still getting that sort of fiber connectivity coming. Mm-hmm. It's still very dependent on GSM. Very. And yeah. looking at the numbers of the different um, generations, too, st- Africa, I believe, is the only region uh, that over 30 percent, 35, 36 percent is still 2G. But that just shows mm. there is the connectivity. And but we're seeing, you know, the big change over to 4G in a lot of areas. But 3G is is so it's like a third, third, third. Yeah. Including 5G. Starting 5G, yeah. South Africa's got 5G. I know Kenya's got 5G. So East Africa, South Africa, North Africa has had uh, some you know, amazing growth in terms of technology advancements. Um, then there are other parts, like I said, Sub-Saharan and uh, uh, parts of West Africa that are still quite behind the, uh, the, the curve. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, as, as I think governments realize the importance of connectivity and the impact it's already having in terms of economic growth so right. they're realizing the need to actually speed up the process of uh, spectrums and you know regulation policies and so forth in in the mobile in, uh, industry mm-hmm. and, and yeah you know that, that's a great point uh Wahid, that I, I think one of the keys here is that um you know and i mean e- even here in the u.s we, we have a, a new sort of broadband initiative because we we can see that that having access to the the internet is is the one of the best economic engines you can have now and so uh, even the operators right so sh- should be happy about that um, but in in Africa we've seen that develop I think a, as you have put it as a sort of mobile first economy um, mm-hmm. I was wondering if you if you could sort of um, uh, lay that out for us and and, and describe how these uh, infrastructure developments being mobile led to this kind of different style of, of economic activity, if that makes sense. 
let me give you another nice story is yeah, so please. Obviously- stories are great people remember stories you know we talk about data all the time people want to hear stories so yeah <laughs> one of the big networks in south africa develops this fintech uh, solution and decides that you know mobile money is the way south africans are going to adopt uh, banking now for those who don't know south africa's banking sector is robust and has been in the top 10 for many a decade uh, mm-hmm. globally. In fact, a lot of our banking systems were far more advanced than the U.S. banking system. Uh, when I visited the U.S., and it was so surprised that people were still writing checks. So, yeah. 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 so, so um, they launched this particular mobile money project, and it failed. Right, mm-hmm. um, And then they took it to Kenya. And uh, mm-hmm. if you know the word M-Pesa, this is the technology I'm, I'm referring to. And they launched it in Kenya. And it got so fast into market, right? It, the adoption rate was phenomenal that it mm. runs a third of Kenya's GDP today. Wow. Right? Yes. Now, what happens? Why the, and, and, and just maybe to add, they then said, okay, it's working now. We'll launch it again in South Africa, which they did. And it failed yet again. And there was a third time and it failed yet again. They've given up. But, but mm. what's the difference? South Africa's banking sector, retail banking sector, like I said, is robust. It's, it, it, it had access people. There's an ATM on every third corner in the city. Right. You know, you can easily get, get access to your money. But when you go to in, uh, countries like Kenya, they don't have the same retail banking infrastructure. Right? So people had less access. So the minute M-Pesa came about, all of a sudden, there was access to their money through the mobile wallet. But beyond that, uh, so that was the adoption reason. But beyond that, there's this, for example, vendor, say this woman who is selling bananas on the side of the road, a lot of informal economies, right? Mm-hmm. And she would be able to buy using a bit of the cash she had, um, a couple of boxes of bananas, sit on the side of the road, and that's her daily sale. All of a sudden, she could now pay for these bananas she was buying digitally through the mobile wallet, mm-hmm. okay? And people buying the banana didn't need to have cash. They could actually just make an instant transfer whilst, while at the vendor. And this trading started becoming a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Then the, the likes of Safaricom, who actually launched M-Pesa, Safaricom is one of the biggest networks in Kenya, um, started providing sort of mi- uh, micro credits, right? So instead of buying two boxes mm-hmm. of bananas she sold daily, she could buy a third and a fourth. And she could sell quicker because people were paying with mobile money. They didn't need cash. So all of a sudden, her business grew. Right. And that, that is essentially, now her business doubled as an informal trader, which is mm-hmm. largely what makes up their country. Can right. you imagine what happened to their economy? And if you mm-hmm. look at the stats of Kenya's growth economically, it's been tremendous. Right. It's a big success story. And that fintech kind of enabled it. And that's mm-hmm. why mobile first in that regard, uh, you know, is so fast adopted. Led to, yeah, led to different yeah. innovations in different markets. Right, exactly. That's, a, that's exactly how I was going to put it, Patrick, that, that uh, you have a laboratory for innovation that, that we almost don't have in other markets because there's just, there's not the need for them, right? And so right, need right. Is, what, is what drives innovation, right? And so, and so uh, but these are things that other markets, it seems to me, would be happy to adopt, you know, uh, late, later on. So there's there's this, sure. I think, 
clear opportunity for for the world to work with these uh, African operators yeah. and and even you know, retail banking institutions to 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 uh, you know uh, see how these innovations can play out and and benefit them. Even yeah, in kind in, of a, in other a, regions, a piggyback example of that too. I think it was it was in Kenya as well. I remember many years ago, like eight years ago, we were talking about a new app that uh, you paid for parking on your phone. Mm -hmm. And this was years ago. And now I see just in the past couple of years, I see it a lot in California in the US. We're like, oh, we're doing that in Kenya like eight years ago, nine years ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And born out of a need, right? Because again, you needed needed coins. You know, you didn't have access to uh, retail banking easily. And, uh, well, if the parking meters were able to be lifted and stolen, you know, th- there was a p- probability of that. So how do you save all that? Mm-hmm. Hence the solution. Yeah. In- innovation. And, and, and just so you know, I mean, uh, M-Pesa has now been adopted in other countries like Rwanda, for example, another very success story. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and some leadership that's taking onus of economic growth in that country. Uh, Rwanda is aspiring to becoming another major economy there. Their GDP growth over uh, pre-COVID, I would say, was eight percent. So again, how technology is influencing the economy? Yeah, right, right. So, Wahid, what what role do you think the the providers themselves can play in this? I mean, obviously, you know, when listening to these stories, it strikes me that that price point. Is really important here because the the ability to pay is 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 uh, you know uh, going to drive you know sort of how much data they can consume and all that. Um, h- how do you think operators should should think about these uh, innovations and and that they're you know this this mobile economy and and ha- can they can they keep prices low enough to keep uh, sort of fostering this kind of innovation? All right, I'm not going to pull any punches with that question. Let me. Put uh, I mean, I I wouldn't expect you to. So it's, this is a safe zone. You can. You know, yeah. Well, let me put it to you this way, right? I think first, uh, when you look at a board of a company or, or corporation, um, any board's mandate is really about looking after the interest of the shareholder. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the mandate of quarterly profits globally. Right? Yeah. It's all yeah. about, yeah, the interest is a nice way of saying profits. So mm-hmm. so that's the mandate of a board. And the executive team of a company is there then to implement that mandate and make sure that they do it with the board uh, being this kind of overseer, if you wish, to ensure that they do it as in, as intended. Now, to me, that's where the first problem lies, is that a board's mandate needs to shift to one of sustainability mm-hmm. and inclusion. And when I say sustainability, you've got to look at this as a long game. You've got to say, all right, right. if I make less profit, in, 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 to answer your question now, the MNO should make less profit. If I make less profit and I stimulate that economy, then ultimately, in the long run, I become a more sustainable business. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. In an environment that is thriving, and I serve the shareholders with great interest in the long run. Right, right. And when that mandate changes to sustainability and inclusion, and when I say inclusion, I then refer to firstly the employees of that business, and then I go to the broader uh, community of the employee market, in other words, the family, the household of each employee, and then the community that supports that business, right? right? So. So that inclusion means I'll give better value to that community that serves my business 
business in a way that I create a sustainable business. Right. Yeah. So we need to address it from that perspective, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is that governments and, and political leaders need to understand that investing in in these businesses in order to enable their economy, right, means that they can't just rest on the private sector to carry this all out and wait for taxes. They must actually come to the party and say, all right, we understand this promotes the economy. You know what? We'll we'll get rid of the duties to import the infrastructure Mm -hmm. you require in order to to roll out the towers or the the fiber cables, etc., Mm-hmm. And perhaps even subsidize the cost of that. Mm-hmm. The return or, of that. Or how about Spectrum too? I mean, do you, do you have any thoughts on on how Spectrum is allocated in Africa specifically or elsewhere that that could facilitate this? Well, it goes up at auction, right? But it goes up mm-hmm. when government decides it's needed, and when the industry is right. putting so much pressure on it to to to, to give in. I mean, South Africa has just gone gone to uh, auction now with the five G spectrum. I mean. This should have happened, considering our advanced stage of, of development in this in this uh, sector, this should have happened ages ago. Why did mm-hmm. it sit in government? What were they waiting for? And right. why do they they look at the economic figures unhappily and say, well, you know, we expected more out of it. Well, you didn't do the things you needed to do in order to stimulate it. Right? Right. So, so that's precisely what I'm talking about. Everything government needs to ensure that there's ease of policy, that yes, it's regulated, but it's done in a way to promote growth. That um, you know, if, if the networks or the private sector require uh, the tools in order to roll this out, meaning spectrums or licenses or any other feature of that, like import duties uh, uh, being gone, then those are the kind of things governments can do in order to stimulate that implementation. Mm-hmm. And I think and that's it, when you will see, uh, right. you know, the value coming through. Yeah, absolutely. Is that something that MEF would work on, or MEF is really just working on the industry itself? Um, but would, would would there be a sort of aspect of trying to convince regulators um, that that you share best interests? No doubt. Um, mm-hmm. In in for example, uh, South Africa. Uh, I mean, we have strong networks, and they don't love they don't love each other. They don't talk to each other much. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all suffer the same pains, but because they won't share that inf- information and collaborate, well, you know, the people suffer along with them. Right. And uh, in, in more recent years, uh, we, we, we got them all together, together with uh, some of the industry in terms of aggregators like iTouch. And, um, and we also uh, got the banking regulator in, right? There's, so there's a banking organization or association mm. of banks that come together under a brand called Sabric. And we put them all in a room and we said, look, it's time to talk. In particular, we were talking about fraud and, uh, you know, the impact of fraud in the industry because that's a threat to the industry as a whole when mm-hmm. your customers stop uh, trusting the service. Trust, exactly, yeah. And, um, and the networks then announced that they were in talks to form this body called Comric, which was an association of networks. Well, it's just been recently, and, and this is a few years later now, announced that this body has been formed. Now, as MEF, we're trying to make headway to have this conversation again that we picked up pre-COVID. And COVID, of course, stopped a lot of that conversation. And uh, there's a new incoming CEO now. So it's already being restructured. And, and it's almost as though, you know, there's less urgency about this collaboration, even though it's well-intended and they realize they got to do it. 
So, uh, so yeah, I think to answer your question is MIF is playing a role in trying to bring these bodies together so that they can really understand that we're all playing in the same game and it takes, you know, if we're playing soccer, it takes 22 players on the field in order to make this work and not just one or two. Mm-hmm. So MIF is playing in that in that field or that sphere. And, and are you seeing um, changes now talking about... Um kind of more collaboration and working together. What we're seeing um, I, on the international level, because we, we track most, uh, our focus is more on international cross-border. What we're seeing is a lot more development of national and international networks that not just submarine um, networks, because when we very often when we talk about international networks for Africa, it's really the submarine cables that right. where you're getting a lot of the... the um, the capacity and the traffic that's international. But we've seen a lot of growth in the cross-border terrestrial, and a lot of this has been stimulated, what we've seen anyways, with the uh, cloud service providers or the content providers moving in, investing, et cetera, trying to make bigger, um, more redundant networks, uh, better performance, et cetera. And then we've seen the um, since about 2019, the cloud data centers going in with Microsoft, AWS, Oracle, and now an announcement with Google. Um, and we're starting to see traffic patterns change. I'm wondering if you're seeing it, at any level changes with, for example, your business and uh, collaboration, et cetera, with the movement of these content providers coming in. Yes, absolutely. Um, as the continent lights up, so I think the international community, right, and I mean off the continent as well, are beginning to see what is happening on the ground, what opportunities are coming out. Some of these stories are now being publicized, which again, your platform is doing. Uh, thank you for that. And, mm-hmm. and as the world sees it and realizes there's opportunity here for growth in their already strained markets, right, where competition is rife, where margins are low, Here's an opportunity to get into a brand new economy, in a sense, a brand new economy. If you do the right things, I'm going to make money. And in that, we're seeing African stories like a few unicorns that have now come to light and are making world news. We're seeing technologies that have been African problems solved, now solving European or Western uh, problems, uh, US and so forth. We're starting to see innovation hubs from the likes of Sweden, from the likes of Europe, from the likes of the US, all aiming, including the the East, aiming at Africa uh, where they can kind of bring together a uh, community of smart young people that have great solutions for the continent. And it's, you know, very much around the social impact as well. And they're focusing on things like agri and uh, uh, water and, you know, those kind of things. And they're creating these hubs where they can then transfer skills, but also take the opportunity of early investing and then scaling these, these opportunities, which unfortunately the local uh, you know, entrepreneur is unable to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so innovation hubs are plenty are kind of, uh, you know, getting onto the continent. And then you've got, like you said, you know, the Googles and Amazons and all of those that are, are ensuring that they're part of that game in a bigger infrastructure way, um, mm-hmm. but also creating innovation hubs of their own. And, and, and um, these are coming with 
entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship programs that give learnings on, on how to develop your business, on how to run a business, other than just having a great idea. So clearly, there's opportunity from that perspective, and it's being noticed. The other side is that as the continent lights up and connect, connectivity lights up, and all of a sudden there's a new customer, then someone in the world is saying, hey, maybe they need a funeral policy, an insurance policy, a microloan, mm -hmm. or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be. Mm -hmm. So as an aggregator, as I touch, um, we've had a number of businesses on the continent. So we kind of understand its complexities. We understand the, the policies and, and, and procedures of starting a venture in a country, uh, at the local business culture. And because we have this information and, of course, the connectivity that we have with the networks, we're finding that a lot of international aggregators like ourselves are actually coming to us and asking us to deliver their communication onto the continent. Now, the, firstly, they wouldn't be doing that if there wasn't an opportunity and they're clearly seeing it. But two, in many instances, when they've tried to do it themselves, as I said earlier, it's a complex environment, um, sure. that they found that the cost of trying to do it yourself far outweighs than simply working with a company that knows the, the, the sector. And therefore, people like us or companies like ourselves, we certainly seeing the growth of international customers that want to do business in Africa coming through us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think thinking of this from the sort of economist perspective, everything you're talking about, Wahid, it, it, it seems to me is is really all around reducing friction, right? It's, you yes. know, you, like making making transaction costs lower, you know, all those kinds of things. And one of the big frictions for telecoms in Africa was was the giant trombone back to Marseille, right? You know? yes. Or yes. Frankfurt, right? You know, so so the, the the less we can do that, it's 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 cheaper and it's faster and it's more efficient for those smart people that are in Africa right. that are right. going to be innovative. Then when you know when when they have the opportunity to to uh, be able to have low latencies and things like that, I think it's it's going to be uh, you know sort of uh, really effective, right? So. I was just going to say, when I talk about Africa being this opportunity, do understand we're talking about a population of 1.4 million, a billion people. Billion, right. 1.4 billion That's... people. And the average age, get this, is 20. Holy cow. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like so, so much potential. Yeah. Make and, that internet work. <laughs> and when you're yeah. talking about 20 years old, bearing in mind that these kids have grown up in a semi-digital world. Right, right, it's part of the DNA, right? So mobile adoption, uh, to your earlier question, is why you know the adoption is so great, is is almost second nature to us right now. Right, and and mm -hmm. it's a young population that also ha had got better education compared to you know their, their their parents, and and understand the problems that they're facing, and how can technology solve that? And that's where the big play is also coming in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Patrick, Patrick, you had a thought there too? Oh, I was just going to kind of um, go a little bit further on what you were saying about tromboning and, and prices is that, mm -hmm. like I was saying with the content providers actually moving in right now, and this is what we're, I was just in Kigali speaking about this, is how it's the data center kind of gold rush right now across Africa, trying to build out um, locations where you can keep content local. So, and there's a lot of interest in, in this. A lot of this is driven by the content providers. They kind of create their own ecosystems, but um, just across the board. And they're going to be in a lot of carrier neutral data centers as well. So I think in the last uh, year and 
Uh, and going forward, I think there's 20 major um, data center sites that are in the process of being built. Um, and we are seeing the effects because we track um, capacity, international capacity, where it goes. We're seeing that now instead of going up um, back up to Europe for content, we're seeing, for example, from Kenya and Nigeria going down to South Africa. So now we're seeing a lot more intra-African capacity building and um, this lessening of reliance for sub-Saharan Africa uh, on Europe. I think it's dropped from 80% to down to about 60% of all international capacity uh, goes back up to Europe. So we're seeing a lot of the intra growing. And what does this do? It also makes um, uh, lowers prices because you don't need as much IP transit. Um, and it increases performance because once you have the content close to you, everything works better. If you watch a video, it's much easier if the data center is within a few milliseconds and not going all the way up to, to Europe. So we're seeing a lot of changes. Mm. I think, Patrick, you made a very good point there in the sense of relevant content, right? right. So initial stages of it, and, and, and this go back again to the growing economies, right? Because the initial stage of connectivity was, well, what's on the internet? What mm. is there available? So it was everything European or US or Chinese or, you know, 10 cents and so forth. But all of a sudden people are going, well, hold on, how do I get local music? And then some entrepreneur locally goes, hey, hold on, I can do my own kind of Spotify thing. And, right. and there's been a number of efforts around, uh, you know, local streaming of music. Um, there's also a big, I mean, Nigeria's got a, what they call Nollywood. It's, no, it's a massive mm -hmm. industry, you know, right. and, and, and all of a sudden I can watch local content that comes out of that. So relevant content is also spurning the kind of growth in the industry because it's content that appeals to me and that is relevant to me. So a very good point you make there, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, well, he you know, just to, to wrap things up, I, I just wanted to, to sort of hit this this final point of that, you know, we've mostly been talking about how all of this plays out in Africa. It, it definitely strikes me that there's lessons for the whole world here. The, the, the whole rest of the world has less developed uh, rural um, places where the last mile is 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 either prohibitively expensive or not there yet. Um, you know, what, what, what can we take away from this for whether it's, you know, rural U.S. or uh, uh, developing tier three city in China or, or whatever the case may be? Um, what would you say to, the, to those folks sitting in, the, in those markets, basically? Well, for, for starters, uh, 1.4 billion people, average age 20 years old. The continent mm -hmm. is lighting up. There's certainly downward pressure on pricing. And, and as people are getting connected, they're realizing what technology can do to change, firstly, their own situation. And as such, some of the technologies coming out of that are being, uh, you know, made into world solutions. Um, innovation hubs and investment, you know, a lot of the investment funds, if we haven't spoken about that, are also setting up shop here, looking at how they can get involved with, the, with this market. And through that, scaling these opportunities. So if you go into the pioneers that got into the gold rush back in the day with their horse and cart and, you know, spade and barrel and, 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 and little sift, well, I think Africa is representative in this sector, in the mobile world, uh, in the same way, in the sense that yeah. even though there's already success stories uh, and some heartbreak stories, I'm sure, not every gold digger found gold, but... 
you know, uh, um, it is that time where Africa's opportunity is coming. The GDPs in countries are growing. The population is young and therefore adopting technology, uh, you know, readily uh, uh, that's available for them. And, um, and if you want to look at, at a market that has that kind of potential, Africa certainly is it. If you were to enter it, then do your research, you know, as they say every time, do your research mm -hmm. and no doubt pay the consultants, no doubt pay the, the, the experienced uh, uh, um, corporations or companies or aggregators uh, like ourselves in order to assist your growth because mm -hmm. the alternative route has cost many a dollar and yes. um, you know, don't be fooled that you think you know it all. It is a complex environment, but it's an exciting one. So mm -hmm. we welcome you. Excellent. Well, I, I think, Wahid, you might need to add, you know, a, a chief evangelist for African telecoms to your CV there. It's, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so thank thank you very much. This was this was a delight and, and I learned a lot, certainly. Um, if listeners want to keep up with your work, Wahid, is there a place they can find you out there, uh, uh, LinkedIn or something else? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So that, that's probably the best way to find me, uh, Wahid Adam. And, uh, you know, please connect with me. I'm open. And Excellent. anyone needing anything, uh, any input or advice, I'm, I'm here for it. And if I can't, I'll provide someone who can. Yeah, I mean, that that's the real key is connections, right? So that's what exactly. we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. Exactly. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Wahid. That was, that was super interesting. I uh, hope you can join us again sometime. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for Thanks, having buddy. me, gentlemen. All the best. Thanks for listening. Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com, and we'll see you on the internet.